Well, good morning. Good to see each one of you today, and what a great day God has given us to serve Him, to love Him, to worship Him. I was just up here counting the squares, how big this this, uh, platform was, and realized that our new platform and our new building is twice as long, which is really good news. If you've ever been up here, this is like being dropped into that snake pit that was in that Indiana Jones movie. Because you walk around, you just know sooner or later you're going to take a digger off this stage and into the crowd, and then they're going to pass me around like they do in concerts. Well, maybe not. That might be a lot to do. You know, I'm always encouraged by, uh, by little things. Little things really encourage me. And we had just had a two-hour meeting uh, to talk about planning for future sites that we have, and we have a meeting coming up uh, on the East Coast with... Uh, an individual who wants to launch two influence churches, one in New Jersey, one in New York, uh, Manhattan. And it was exciting to kind of pray and think about that. Then I went over to the post office uh, just to pick up the mail, and I just had to bring it with me because it was so cool. I brought this uh, envelope, and it says at the top, I look at the return address, and it says, Influence Church, Big Bear Campus. And it was the offerings from the Big Bear Campus that they had mailed in. And my heart just kind of leaped because I realized, wow, this is really working. People are growing and assembling and they're advertising and they're making flyers and they're reaching people. And uh, in addition to Big Bear and Abu Dhabi, our live stream audience is, uh, is well into the hundreds now. And God is just really doing some unique things at the same time. We here in this, in this live venue, this one and the other two uh, auditoriums here, are just uh, growing, and, and God is seeing, uh, seeing our faith and seeing what we're doing. Uh, we were able to submit the CUP to the city this week, so that is in process. All the plans are in. That's rolling. We had media meetings, ministry meetings this week. I mean, some great, great things are happening And uh, I just want to say thank you to every one of you and the part you play in making this to be the church that God wants us to be. You know, I love church stories too. I read a story just recently about a little girl named Hattie Mae Waite. And that name's not familiar to most of us. In fact, you may have never heard it. I didn't hear uh, about her name ever until I did some reading and did some research. Well, apparently Hattie was a little girl in Philadelphia, and this was in the early uh, 1900s, and she went to church, and uh, it was a small church, just a startup church, and the pastor there was a man by the name of Russell Cronwell. And Cronwell noticed this little girl was sitting outside of one of the classrooms crying, and he went over to her, and, and he said, what's wrong? And she said, there's no room for me in the classroom. And he picked her up and he put her on her shoulders and he walked her into the classroom and he found a little place for her. And she told the pastor, I'm going to start saving so the church can have enough money to buy a bigger building. And that little girl began to save. And she only saved 57 cents before she died. She died of diphtheria. Unexpectedly, little girl. At the funeral, the parents brought the money, the 57 cents, that the little girl had been saving for that church so they could have a bigger building. And they gave it to the pastor. And, of course, he was overwhelmed, and he shared that news with the church. 
And they got together and they decided that God indeed wanted them to have a bigger building and wanted them to have more land. And they found a piece of land and they went to the man and, and he wanted uh, several thousand dollars for the land. And they said, uh, they told the story of the 57 cents. And the man said, I'll accept the 57 cents as a down payment on the land until you get the money. So they gave the 57 cents to the man. They secured the land. And before they were ready to build, the man came to them and said, I'm just going to accept the 57 cents. God had been working in his heart. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't go to that church. But God was moving things around for the kingdom of God. And God does that in a marvelous way. That church is still in Philadelphia today. It's called Temple Baptist Church. Out of that came Temple University, which you probably have heard of. And out of that also came a seminary by the name of Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston. And all of that, I believe, was because of one little girl whom God used who had 57 cents. And sometimes what we do is we think that we can't make a big difference in our world because we don't have much time or much to give. But you know, when you really give everything you have to God in a little way, it's amazing how God can multiply everything for the kingdom of God. When your heart is right, when your attitude is right, when your faith is right, and it doesn't have to be great faith. Remember, Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be picked up and moved into the sea and it shall obey you. So don't think that you have to have this giant faith. Just take the faith that you have and use it for the glory of God. I want to give you a wilderness report as we begin to study today. Here's the first thought. There comes a time when you're in the wilderness to take the land. In other words, there comes a time when you say, enough wandering, enough looking. It's time to secure the land. When we got the news that our bid had been accepted in the middle of eight other bids, probably all of whom thought they had the bid as well. And I'm sure some of them were praying. And we were praying. And I don't know that our prayers were greater than their prayers or our faith was greater than, than their faith. God just had a purpose and a destiny for us in that location. And as we've kind of moved around and looked at the, the, the interior of that and the floor pan, I get more excited all the time. When I can, I, I can see people walking in and milling around those two different lobby areas, one with a coffee shop and a juice bar and a fireplace and, and a, a lounge area where you can sit and just relax and fall asleep during my sermons. Because I know some of you have grown really accustomed to these comfortable chairs that lean back, and some of them lean back more than others I've noticed. Some of you are almost in a full recline right now. Cup holders and nachos and popcorn in the lobby. What more could you ask than that? But there does come a time. The other thing that I want you to know is yesterday's battle prepares you for today's victory. Don't look back at your life and realize and think to yourself, well, look at all the difficulty I've had and all the hard times I've had. No, those are all preparation days. Those are the times where you trusted God, you got deeper with God, and sometimes you even got frustrated with God, but you learned a little bit more about how God works in your world and how God wants to work in your life. And they're preparing you. All of those events and all those circumstances, it prepares you for what you're going to face today and tomorrow. And the other thing that as you study this passage with us today, you're going to find this truth to be really true, and that is this, that you need to surround yourself with winners. 
Surround yourself with people who will speak into you, who will lift you up, who will encourage you, who will gather around you, people who are people of faith, who want to see the greatest for you and for the world that you live in. Now let's look in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 13 and verse 5. And listen to what the Word of God says. I'm taking you back because I want to remind you of the promises of God. We started in chapter 13, actually chapter 12 of Exodus. Uh, 42 weeks ago, we've been now speaking from the book of Exodus. And as we take you to this reminder, it says, And it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land, which he swore your fathers to give, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now notice what it says. It shall be that when, not if. See, the promises of God are not if, they're when. When is God going to do that? In God's time, but God will do that. And it says that it was based on what God said, I swore to your fathers I would take you into the right place in the right time. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. Now when you study your Bible, what you're going to find is that there's five books in the beginning that start with the book of Genesis, and they're called the Pentateuch. And a lot of those stories, they parallel each other, so you don't get the whole Exodus story by reading Exodus. You have to read also, for example, what's going on in the book of Numbers. So let me read to you from Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now they're close. They said, we've got to get a look at what's going on. We want to know the lay of the land. We want to know what we're going to face, what obstacles, what's the terrain going to look like, because there's going to be inhabitants in the land they are going to try to keep us out. Just like in your life, there are obstacles, difficulties, and enemies that are going to try to keep you out of fulfilling your God-given destiny. There are going to be all kinds of voices you're going to hear in your head and in your ear. They're going to say, you can't do something. You ignore those. You listen to the voice of God. God has a better plan for your life than anyone you know on planet Earth. Look what it says. Send out these men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. There's the the affirmation again. I'm giving it to you. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So here's what God said. I'm going to take a man from every tribe. But I want a leader. I want someone who has courage. I want someone who who has insight and vision. You send out the best you have. They're going to spy out the land. They're going to come back and tell us the report. Now, I wish I could tell you the report was a great report from all 12, but it wasn't. Have you ever noticed how if you get 12 people together, you probably have 15 opinions? And if you get 15 opinions together, you probably don't have that many voices of faith unless somebody's courageous enough to stand up and say, wait a minute, we can do that. What's so difficult about that? Let's give it a try. Let's see what God can do. We know what we can do, which may not be much, but we know what God can do. Well, look what happens here in in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. It says, we went. Now, they've gone. They've come back. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Well, everything sounds good right now. It's a good land. Land flowing with milk and honey means it's just rich in all kinds of ways. But look at this word in verse 28, nevertheless. It's like when someone says, but. I know God said that, but. See, the problem is we have too many buts in our life, amen? They just get in the way of what God wants to do. He says, but nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. 
There's our problem. We see the obstacles instead of seeing God. I want you just to remind yourself, I'm going to look to God and not the obstacles in my life. Nevertheless, it says the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and all along the banks of the Jordan. Well, one thing we do know, they got a good look at the land. They identified tribes, where they were, and they said, but you know what? There were even giants there. Have you ever noticed when you have a problem, you make the problem bigger than it really is? I mean, you're telling somebody the problem, they, they're telling you about a difficulty, a surgery they had. They're telling you about an accident they had. And there's always somebody who says this. You can almost hear it in your voice, in your mind right now. That's nothing. Wait till you hear this. Why is there always somebody who wants to one-up you? Makes me want to lie and one-up them. They go, oh yeah, I I forgot about it. It wasn't a four-car crash, it was a 40-car crash. I was thrown from the car over 200 yards, skid on my face, but never had a scratch. But you see, why is that? And look what it says here. Caleb quieted the people, verse 30. There's only two out of the 12 that had a voice of courage and a voice of faith. Caleb and Joshua. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Do you know that when we began to think about what God was going to do in buying a building and and how we were going to do all these things in the course of, of really just being together a matter of months, nine or ten months before we started saying, let's do this and let's do that. You can't believe how many people thought we were crazy. I thought we were crazy. But I just said, no, no, let's just see what God can do. Let's put it out there and have the voice of faith be louder than the voice of the problem or the obstacle. And that same application is true in our daily life. Now, it says, we're, we're able to overcome it, Caleb said. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you're walking down the road and all of a sudden it just sucks you into a hole? It devours them. It's, it's angry. It doesn't want new people there. It devours its inhabitants, it says here. And, and notice what else. And all the people we saw are men of great stature. We didn't see a short man in the bunch. They were giants. They were like the descendants of Anak. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You ever felt like a grasshopper? You ever felt like you couldn't do something? You ever felt like you just didn't know where to go or what to do? And everyone seemed to have it better than you and you didn't know which way to turn? Well, you know, that's grasshopper thinking. And you have to stop thinking like a grasshopper. Here's the first point. Grasshopper thinking is common. It's not hard to find somebody who will tell you, I can't do something. Look for the people, search out the people, say, well, why not? Let's give it a try. You know, if you think about it, you with God and your faith, you are a majority. You can do some great things. Well, here's what you can do. Here's the first thing I want to suggest. Stare down the giants in your life. 
You ever been stared down? I went out to rep for wrestling in seventh grade, and, uh, and I only made the heavyweight class by about two pounds. And I was just fat. I, I, I have to tell you, it wasn't muscle. There was no muscle in me as far as I could identify. And I remember the day that I went out to wrestle against Bruce Holhalter from East Junior High. He'd already been shaving. Seventh grade. He had hair coming out of the top of his shirt. I looked over. I didn't even have peach fuzz on my arms. I looked over at Bruce and and I looked back at my coach and my coach gave me, go get him. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. It's like wrestling my dad. Well, I had determination and I had courage and I rushed like a mad bull at Bruce. He grabbed me, threw me on the ground, had me in a pin position in less than five seconds. I remembered, though, my training. Bridge. I got up on my, on my head and I bridged so he couldn't pin me. He looked at me and whispered in my ear, If you don't lay down, I'll break your neck. I collapsed like a cheap suit. Pinned in less than 15 seconds. I went away humiliated. Thinking, what could I do? Who would be my next opponent? I went to the next wrestling match the next week to North Junior High. I looked across. There was a kid about as fat as me. No muscles were evident. No shaving. I got him down. I had him in the pin position. And he started pinching me. I thought, who pinches me? So I did the only natural thing a man can do. I bit him. (laughs) Won the match. Felt victorious, went on courageous. You've got to stare down the giants in your life. Because you see, every problem that you face has a solution. You may not know what it is. You may have to bite a few people to get there. But you know there's a solution. Let God reveal the solution to you. Also, reframe your problem so you can see it from a different point of view. After all, there's not many people who went in the ring with Bruce Holhalter. I hope. I hope he's walking with a walker and overweight today. (laughs) Seriously, what he did to me on that day. Here's the second thing you can do. You can honor God with uncommon faith. Just honor God. Say, God, I'm just going to believe you for this. When things try to pull that out of you, just say, no, God, I'm going to honor you with faith. I'm just going to believe you. Your word is true. I'm just going to believe you and take you at your word. And here's a little thing that I've found to be helpful when you pray. Stop. See, sometimes we think we can pray at all times. I think that's true. But there's something about stopping to pray. Focus, what do you want God to do? And then believe. Just stop, focus, and believe. Ask, tell God exactly what you're trusting Him for. Ask Him to do that. Give Him a time frame. Sometimes people say, I wish you'd bless me in this way before I die. Well, what does that mean? That means nothing. You might as well not pray that prayer. Tell God what you want, when you want Him to to come through, and let God take the the rest of it to, to, to task. Also, be different. You know, the interesting thing when you study Scripture is that men and women of faith were different the way they thought, the way they believed. In fact, Scripture even affirms it. Look what it says in Numbers 14 and verse 24. But my servant Caleb... Because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully. When I read that, I said, God, that's what I want. I want that different spirit that follows you fully. I will bring into the land where he went 
and his descendants shall inherit it. You see what God did? Because of that different kind of a faith, that different kind of a spirit, that commitment, he said, not only am I going to bring Caleb into the land, I'm going to bring his descendants into the land, I'm going to bless generations to come because of the faith of this one man, Caleb. Wouldn't you like to be said of you that your future generations were blessed because you were faithful before God? That children and grandchildren would one day say, the reason I'm here is because of the faith of my grandfather, the faith of my grandmother. Remember we said you've got you to keep the right associations. Andrew, uh, Andy Andrews wrote this uh, in one of his books. Guard your associations carefully. Anytime you tolerate mediocrity in your choice of companions, you become more comfortable with mediocrity in your own life. You are who you hang with. You are who you talk with. You are who you think and, and, and plan with. That's going to become a part of your life. You have to raise the bar up and say, no, let's just raise it. You say, well, what if all my friends aren't that way? Well, then you set the standard and bring them up. Be an encourager to them. And if they don't want to go along, say, well, I'm going on. I hope you guys go with me. But be a leader in what you do. Secondly, overcome difficulty with faith. How do you choose a destiny in your life? You know, God has one for you. I think you accept the challenge as ordained by God. Just, if you, if you do nothing else, say in your mind right now, God, you have a beautiful and a wonderful destiny for me. I may not know what it is. I may not know how to get there. But I believe that you have something for me. God, I pray you'll reveal it to me. I pray you'll show me that, God, as I go on this journey of life. Now, you may not feel capable. It's not about feelings. All of us from time to time struggle and worry and are concerned about, can I do this? Can I do that? Don't let the feelings dominate what you do. You may not know what to do. You may just be looking at a wall and staring blankly and saying, God, I don't even know where to go. That's a great place to stop because God loves you to stop and say, wait a minute. It's not about you anyway. It's about me. Why don't you let me work in you? You might feel weak. You say, well, I don't even have the strength to do this anymore. Well, you'd be surprised as you uh, come to God and allow him to renew your strength and you can mount up with wings like eagles, as, as Isaiah the prophet said. You see, God wants you to see what he can do. We know what we can do. What can God do in your life? He is ready to open doors of divine blessings and divine favor for each and every person. God will bring people into your life. He'll bring people into your path and you'll say, how did this person end up in my life? I don't understand that. I was so surprised when I got information from my friend in the East Coast and he's finished his doctor's degree at seminary. He's written a book. He's a consultant for uh, Redeemer uh, Churches, Presbyterian Churches, Tim Keller's organization on the East Coast. And he said, I've been watching online. I've been streaming. I can't get it out of my head what influence is doing and this model that you're doing, I want to talk to you about doing this on the East Coast. I was shocked. I really was shocked. I don't know why it still shocks me when God does something cool. But it does. I go, well, thank you, God. Now let me just try to make sure we don't mess this one up and we're going to get it in the right place. And, and so much of what we do is just so gypsy stylish, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, we're kind of in our fourth location now. And now we're going to have a baptism service at a sunrise service in a horse trough, at a middle school, outside. I'll tell you what, if you haven't been baptized, it's time to step up. 
Amen? Everyone clapping better be the first one in the water. I'm telling you right now. I talked to Ron. I said, Ron, we've got to figure out how to heat this and get a jacuzzi. He said, man, I don't know. It's going to be hard. He said, I know you can get those limos with the jacuzzi in the back. I said, I don't think we're going to pull. You know, I just don't think that's going to be the scene. But how many people do you know have, can say, I was baptized on Easter at a sunrise service? I don't know anybody. But after the 31st, I'm going to know a bunch of people. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. And, uh, and when I start to see all these things take place, I realize we have to position ourselves for a miracle and not for escape. A lot of people, they just, they just on survival mode. I'm just trying to get through. I'm just trying to make it through the day. I just want a good dog's life. You know, dogs have it pretty good in Orange County. Have you noticed? I mean, we have dogs in our, in our church family that they have dyed hair and painted uh, toenails. They're groomed on a regular basis. They have nice collars. They're, they're taken care of. They're buckled in on the seat belt to make sure they're safe. Just a good dog's life. You know what a good dog's life is? I, I get a nice place to stay. I get a little bit of food, get a little affirmation. Good boy. Get to go outside once in a while and run and play. Most people are satisfied with that. Do you realize God has more for us than that? Position yourself for a miracle. You know how you do that? You trust God for something so big you couldn't pull it off apart from Him. What is it you're going to do? God, I'm just going to trust you for it. Well, what if God doesn't come through? Then that's His problem. My problem is to trust God. To get out on the edge, to stay on the edge and, and say, God, let's see what you can do. Take the first step. You see, you're never going to find God show up if you don't say, God, I'm willing. I'll just take the first step. I'll take the first leap of faith and see what you can do. Third thing I want you to see is God is ready to answer your request. You know, God stands ready saying, you know, if you'll just call unto me, I will show you great and mighty things. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Think about those promises of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God makes these wonderful promises. God is ready to answer your request. And here's what I think is helpful. Expect God to answer. Expect God to answer. Don't go to prayer and say, God, if you will, or I hope you do, or I hope I got it right. Say, God, this is what I believe I need in my life. This is what I'm trusting you for, God. I don't know anything else to do but just to lay that at your feet. And don't go taking it back. Don't go changing the plan. Just say, God, I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And the thing that's really challenged me is I haven't been praying bold enough prayers. It seems like when I pray for something, it happens. God, and, and my wife reminds me, and God affirmed it. I just need to have greater prayers. I need to trust God for bigger things. And so I doubled everything. Take your prayer, and if it's got a numerical value, put a zero on it. Just take it up another 10. Take it up another notch. Multiply the effort you have in faith. See what God can do. I know this, uh, I was talking to some members of the finance committee and, and uh, we were, when we started this, we didn't really, know, we didn't have any money, we didn't have any building, didn't have any equipment, didn't have any database and, and we had to set up a budget. Well, how much is it? I don't know. Let's see what happened last week. We have no history. 
We can't look back the previous year. And so we started a budget and we, out, we just outgrew that budget within the first three months. So we doubled the budget. Well, that, that worked pretty well and then we just doubled it again. Then we got down to the end of the year and we said, wow, in, in 10 months we took in more than we thought we'd take in in 12 months. And so I just said, God, I'm just going to pray that you're going to double our budget over again one more time in this year, 2013. And we've been good stewards, God. We've been so careful. We've lived on 49% of all the money we've taken in. That's a miracle, amen? Show me another church that's doing that. And I believe it's for kingdom expansion. I believe as we're faithful and good stewards, we're going to be into that building, and I can just already see the kids running around there. It's going to be so great to get the kids back on one campus. You know, when we're divided on multiple campuses, you don't even know if we have kids right? You know, but, but over at, at the private school, we've got kids over there, and, 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 you, and when you begin to collectively get them all together in one place, and you see all the kids, and you know, I realize we just had a, a new birth uh, this week from another one of our staff members. Uh, Carly and David Wood gave birth to Olivia this week, amen? And on our church staff, just to show you we're doing our part, in the last uh, few months, uh, we've, we have four people on our staff that are either pregnant or have recently delivered a baby. Now, that's pretty good. I looked at my wife and said, don't even think about it. <laughs> and then Emily, our children's director, told me that there's, I think she said, 12 or 13 women pregnant right now in our church. That's a lot of babies, amen? Amen? All you ladies that clap need to volunteer in the children's ministry now, all right? But God is doing some expect God to answer. And also remember, God does have a plan for your life. I want to emphasize this over and over again. God has a plan for your life. Walk with Him and little by little, He'll reveal some things to you. He'll show you some things that are great. He'll bring people around you who can help you do that. Also, hold your confidence. You know, sometimes we just let go. We just, we just don't hold on long enough. And we quit too soon. We need to hold on and let God come through. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Be confident in God. Be confident what God has said. Be confident that God is on your side. Don't cast it away. You know what you do? You quit too soon. There's an old poem that goes something like this. Uh, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging is all uphill, when the debts are low and, and the, and the fun, or the debts are high and the funds are low, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to the faint and faltering one. He learned too soon how close he was to the golden crown. So rest if you must, but don't you quit. Don't quit. God will honor your faith. It's going to be hard at times. Don't quit. You might be right right on the verge of a victory. You might just be one day away from seeing God open up an opportunity for you. Have you ever read those stories where people's lives just turned around in an instant? And you always said, I wish you'd do that with me, God. Well, maybe he will. Maybe he's doing that right now. Most people have that story. I don't know what happened. Things kind of came into place. People came into my life, paths crossed, and all of a sudden, here we are doing what God has called us to do. Honoring God, blessing your family, blessing your future in so many, many ways. Here's some life applications I want to give you today. The first one is move forward. 
move forward. That seems pretty simple. Are you moving forward or are you standing still? You're backing up? Don't stand still. Move forward. I don't know what to do. Just move. Inertia will kill you. You need a little momentum. Amen? That's what my wife says when she gets me out walking. More. More motion. I'm getting all I can. I got this 200 none of your business pounds moving as fast as I can. Momentum. Get a little momentum. Spiritual momentum. God, I'm moving forward. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to head in your direction till you show me exactly what to do. Move forward. And remember, faith is more powerful than fear. See, the interesting thing is 10 brought back a bad report. Two brought back a good report. But guess what? Did they not go into the land? They went into the land. In fact, the 10 said, let's just go back to Egypt. It wasn't that bad. After all, we had food. We had a house. We had, we had something to do every day. We just got to be slaves and make mud and, and brick and all those other kind of things. Move forward. Faith will overcome fear every time. You've got to say it out loud. Sometimes when you pray, don't pray quietly, pray out loud. When you hear it, when the enemy hears it, it dispels darkness. I found myself this morning, I got up and and I just started praying out loud. I just said, God, I want to praise you for this day. I want to thank you, God, for every person who's going to come there. I want to thank you for what you're doing. Praise be unto God. You're doing some great things. I don't even know what all you're doing. And I'm just going to keep trusting you and moving forward with all that I do. And you know, instantly my attitude just improved. Here's the other life application. Remember this. Grasshopper thinking is common, but God is looking for uncommon people with an uncommon faith. If you look around and all you feel like is a grasshopper, you know you've got to change your thinking. You've got to look elsewhere. You've got to do some great things for the kingdom of God. You know, we never want to leave you without an opportunity for you to hear the gospel story, to receive the message of Jesus Christ. And I realize that many of you Uh, The majority of you know Christ, but some of you, I'm sure, do not. And I want to just give you, in the clearest kind of way I can, what does it mean to become a Christian, to be a believer in Jesus Christ? See, I went to church week after week as a child, and I saw a cross, and I heard the story, but I never understood it. I knew Jesus died, but I didn't know why. I could even sing the songs, but didn't know why. Let me make it as clear as I possibly can. All of us, by our choice and by our nature, are sinners. That means we've just come short of what God wants for each one of us. It doesn't make us bad and evil people. It makes us sinful or short of God's glory. And because the penalty for sin is death, and God loves you so much, He sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. When He died on that cross, He died for your sins and my sins. He was put in a tomb according to the scriptures. He was raised up on the third day to give us life. My faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection constitutes salvation. When I confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says this in Romans 10, 9, I will be saved. I'm not saved by being religious. I'm not saved by ritual. I'm not saved by being better than everybody else. I'm saved by Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection alone. And right now, I just want to ask all of us to just bow our heads, and I want to lead you through a prayer, a prayer of faith, 
that would take those elements and allow them to be yours in faith. Would you just bow your heads with me? Dear Lord Jesus, the Bible says that all have sinned. Some have sinned more than others, but all have sinned. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus, when he died on that cross, he died for the sins of mankind. He died for my sins. I confess to you that I'm a sinner, and I believe that his death satisfied the demands of God so I don't have to die. I believe that he was buried, that he rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. And right now, I receive that gift of salvation. I, don't, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I receive it. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Allow my heart to be your temple. Allow your word to come alive to me. I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart. So I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my future. I wonder as we just remain with our heads bowed, was that your prayer today? Was that something you voiced before God and said, God, I prayed that prayer. I want you to know if you did, that was God. God's assurance is that if you do what his word says, he will do what his word says. Amen. Was that your prayer and you'd like us just to pray with you? Just lift, slip your hand up and you can slip it right back down. That was your prayer. Just raise your hand up. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up and slip it right back down. It's a testimony of faith. God bless you. Anyone else? Now, in your own words, just thank God for salvation. Thank God for the gift of life that he's given to you. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord now.